Thank you, Peter. Thanks, team. You may be seated. Welcome, everyone, and welcome to everyone online, to the Darwin crew. We hope you're having a great day. Today's message is titled, Together I Am. Now, are there any English teachers in the room? Can't really see. Oh, there's one sort of half-hearted English teacher, sort of not quite sure. Former It's a principal, I think, so gave up English teaching to, to run a school, I gather. Yep. So, Together I Am. Look, it's a poorly phrased title. The grammar in it is not right. We could make it work a whole bunch of ways. We could do together and then colon, I am. Together, I am. We could put a question mark at the end and go, together, I am. We could put a comma, together, I am. There's a whole range of ways we could phrase together, I am, as a status, as as a title. And the point of it is, and we're going to go through this, hopefully it all becomes apparent to you by the end of the message. If it doesn't, Sorry, you'll have to come and check with me what it actually means at the end. But the whole point of it is that our identity as individuals is informed by who it is that we surround ourselves by, who it is that we understand we are together with. And over the month of May, we've talked a lot about connection. We've talked a lot about our understanding of how we operate as a church. But today, I want to talk about something a little bit more deep in our understanding of our togetherness. And that's around identity and purpose. Understanding our personal identity and understanding our personal purpose and how that works within the context of who we are as a church. So that's where we're going to get to. Now, most of you would know, because I've told you all many times before, that I'm an engineer. It's a big part of my identity. It's something I'm very proud of. Now, when I say that I'm, a, I'm an engineer, a whole bunch of you, I'm sure, will get very different images in your mind about what that actually means. So we'll just put up the first one. This is what mum thinks I do. She thinks I'm out with hard hat on. She thinks I'm out like just changing the world. And that's really cool. And I, to be honest, I'm not going to disavow of that particular view because it sort of makes me feel good to do that. And I think sort of I tell my kids that this is what I do as well, hard hat on, changing everything that goes on. But then some other people have a slightly different perspective. So society thinks that engineers change the world. Now, well, that's probably a bit of a generalisation because I'm sure that some of you don't think that engineers change the world. If you were of that view, I would like to take this opportunity to disavow you of that opinion. Engineers make your dreams come true. That's the truth. So we are saving the world. That's what I like to think anyway. So, but... There's a whole role around what, do en- what does society think engineers do. Now, next one. Yeah. Yeah. I know how to MacGyver my way out of any particular problem. Some of you will have heard various stories from me on this platform previously about how we've solved major mechanical mysteries in our vehicles while going on family holidays because I just like to be able to say, yes, I can MacGyver my way out of anything. It's, it's something I'm pretty proud of. So that's, that's what I tell people I do. But then we'll go to the next one. Most non-engineers think that this is what engineers do. We just sit in a room uh, with old computers and, uh, and just sort of look like that. And to be fair, look, there was probably a point in time when in my teenage years where I was in my room with an old computer and rewire wires, all the rest of it. 
Uh, and so there's a perspective about engineers that is not altogether complimentary, shall we say. Maybe not altogether attractive either. Anyway, there's, there's a perspective about that identity of engineers. And then next, look, to be honest, when I'm not MacGyvering, I am Tony Starking the heck out of this thing because that's, that's <laughs> there's what I tell people to do and that's what I'm actually doing most of the time. I am building robots that will change the world. Uh, sadly, however, the truth of the matter of what I spend most of my time doing is, uh, is this one. <laughs> I, I do... It was a toss-up between this and an image of a PowerPoint slide because between doing PowerPoints and paperwork, uh, that's the truth of what a lot of my actual engineering is. But we have these perspectives of identity and I, when I get up and say that I'm an engineer, you immediately have your perspectives of what that is. I have an idea of what it is. And we put around a shell around ourselves as to how we want to be understood and, and infer from ourselves who other people should believe we are. It's, it's something that I think about a lot. And when I tell people I'm an engineer, it's in the context of other people telling me how they identify for themselves in their roles. I'm a doctor or I'm a nurse. Our identity is something that we craft and mould. It's a really good reason I tell you my MacGyver stories because it makes me feel good and I'd like you to have that view about me. But we craft and mould our identity over time, both to give ourselves a sense of who we are, and that's our ego, but also to give others a sense of who we are, and that's the part that protects ourselves, that's the part that gives us a sense of separation, because we, can, we craft an identity that protects ourselves from understanding who we are on the inside. So all of us... However old, young, however mature, immature you might be, however, whatever your status of life, we all have these two identities. There's an outer identity and an inner identity. And we spend a lot of time crafting that. We may not think we do, but we do. We do it by the clothes we wear. We do it by the places we go out for dinner, we do it by what car we drive, we do it in the conversations we have with different people about our work and, and the things we're doing. We're always crafting these two identities. And we know that it occurs because when we have a conversation with people, you'll sort of say, if, if you meet someone new, you'll say, oh, hi, how are you? What's your name? What do you do? And what you do then becomes a core part of our identity. People say, well, I'm a, I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse, I'm a teacher, I'm an engineer. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a, a wife, I'm a daughter, I'm a son. I'm an Essendon supporter. There's a part of this sermon where I pick people out later on and I'll have a go at them and I heard her booed before about Essendon, so we'll come back to you, Paul. But we... We have all these little points that we use to define ourselves. And we use that identity and those statements to tell people where we've come from. So we describe our past as a way of defining our identity. 
Because sometimes that inner identity that we hold dear to ourselves is there's a whole bunch of stuff that we don't want to say, which is, I'm a failure. I'm an alcoholic. I'm, I'm a divorcee. I'm, I'm a terrible student. I'm a terrible employee. Like, we have all of these other parts of the identity that we don't want to share because they're all informed by our history. They're all framed by where we've come from. And that challenge of understanding this part of our identity really then manifests in two different ways. And the first of them is around how it constrains our future. Because one of the things that we have to understand is that identity is a statement of our past. Or most of the time it's a statement of our past. Who here has any appreciation of Shakespeare? Oh, come on. It's got to be some level of... Oh, yeah, we've got one hand waving. That's great. Oh, two, someone else over there. That's a child loves Shakespeare. Well done, you. This quote up on the screen behind me. We know what we are, but not what we may be. It's from Hamlet. Was Hamlet was going through a major existential crisis in his in his life and this phrase we know what we are but not what we may be and what it's really saying is that our identity is telling you what we are but it doesn't tell you where you're going it may inform it but it doesn't tell you where you're going and in that context our identity without purpose is just your history Does that make sense? Like if you just talk about all the things you've done in your life to describe who you are, but you then can't say why you exist or what your purpose is, then all you've done is tell someone very eloquently what your history is. And that can be a great thing because if you've had a lot of success, you can tell people all the things you've done in your life. And that's a really great great identity to hold on to. It's something to feel warm and fuzzy about. But without being able to tell people what your purpose is, it's just a statement of everything that's happened. The flip side of that is that if you simply, or if you have within your identity have had to deal with great challenges, if you have had to deal with many things in your life that you bring up and don't know what the purpose of those are or where you're going to from here, then that history is then something that you, you hold on to and it, and it can burden you down. Let me bring that next slide, please. Identity without purpose is just your history. It's just a statement of what's gone behind you. You as an individual are a combination of everything that you have done but everything that has been done to you and what, what your life and the context in which you're operating is. We live in a town that, frankly, struggles with its identity. We can tell you, and you know when you get together as a barbecue, we can tell people what is wrong with a town. We can tell people everything that's happened. But we really struggle to articulate, well, who, who are we going forward? 
Who are we as a, as a community going forward? When we think about identity, we have to think beyond the status. When we consider all the challenges that have been going on over the last number of months that have been communicated in the media, I've been travelling a lot recently and I get, everywhere I go, I get people ask me, oh, so, so what's going on in Alice? Is it as bad as everyone says it is? And the reality is you have to sit there and go, well, yes and no. Yes, it's bad, but it's always been bad. It's just that the rest of the country suddenly discovered that we exist and that bad things happen. There's a whole set of issues that are going on and those issues and our response to them are defined by people going, oh, well, I'm, I've always lived in this town. How many times have you been in a meeting somewhere or a meeting with a group of people and they will tell you, how long they've lived in Alice Springs. I went to a meeting a little while ago and we had to go around and do the introductions. And what was important was to understand the context that everyone was coming from, what their businesses were, their roles were, what, what work they were doing. And all that everyone did was tell me how long they'd been in Alice Springs so that everyone else could size up and rank each other to where they actually were in the hierarchy in that meeting. And so the people who'd been there, well, I was born in Alice Springs. Well, that's great, but someone else's parents were born in Alice Springs and they were in Alice Springs. So they are suddenly sitting up here. And this conflicted sense of our past challenges our sense of our common identity. One of the things that we believe in the context of our church, and I believe as a Christian, is that when you accept Christ into your life, we then take on a new identity. That's a pretty foundational statement around faith. And in fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, this is a New Living Translation, which says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has, has begun. We've taken on a new identity. That new identity is in Christ. But one of the things that is not well spoken about and we don't talk about effectively in the context of the church is that saying that I am now, that I have a new identity in Christ is meaningless unless there's action associated with it. It's meaningless in the, unless there's a purpose associated with it because if all it is is I now have a new identity in Christ but I'm still defined by everything that I've, has gone on before. All I've done is define my history once again. I haven't actually set out where I'm going to. New life requires purpose. And we see that in many, many, many examples in the Bible. Where people are able to change their identity by changing their purpose. Not changing identity in they're now someone they don't recognise, although there were cases where people's behaviour was so manifestly different that others didn't immediately recognise it. But being able to have a purpose that sets out what happens next is such a critical way of being able to ensure that your identity is not just a statement of your history, it's not something that holds you back, but it actually allows you to understand what you're doing next. New life requires a new purpose and that is something that is critical to our understanding of faith. 
If we are, as a town, to have a new life and a new identity, we have to have a new purpose. What is our role in this? What, is, what does this town exist for? Why do we all come to this place in the middle of the desert? Why do we come here and call it home? Why do, what is our purpose as a town? What do we want to achieve? Paul wrote in Galatians 1, 13 to 16, You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvellous grace. And then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. And when this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human. This is a really powerful statement by Paul about his understanding of his own identity. He almost revels in that sense of going, not only was I a Jew, like I was the extreme Jew, I was the MacGyver of Jews when it came to persecuting other people. I was top of my game. He opens a complete understanding of who that identity was. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. I mean, it's a pretty arrogant statement. Like, I was the best at doing something that all of you think is bad. But what he recognised was that through God's grace, he'd been given a new identity. The most critical part of that passage, however, is in verse 16, where it says, Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me, so that, so that. Two little words that are added in there, and they're in and of themselves, they're not particularly consequential as as nouns in, in the English language. But those two words combined give us an insight to Paul realising that no longer was he just a new, newly born in the identity of Jesus. But he was newly born in that identity so that he could proclaim the good news. So that he could proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. It was a very explicit purpose that he had. His identity still completely informed by his past, didn't constrain his understanding of what his purpose was going forward. It's something that he couldn't ignore, it's something that he couldn't reject and say, well, that, that never happened. He was too well known to be able to pretend that he'd never actually been that way. And so, he accepts it. He acknowledges it. He allows himself to be informed by that past. But he's not defined by it. Because what defines him now is his relationship with Jesus. That's the thing that has changed his identity and significantly given him his purpose. So that. And in each of us, as we think about our identity, whatever that background and identity may be, we have to be contemplating, well, whatever's happened, whatever happened up until 30 seconds before you walked into this room, whatever that, all of those things in your life, 
They all define, they are all informing your identity. But it is 100% your choice as to whether or not you'll be defined by it. Because your choice is a choice to say, no, I define myself by my relationship with Jesus so that dot, dot, dot. I don't know what your purpose is. I don't know what your particular role is. My purpose is different to yours. My purpose professionally is different to my purpose personally. They're connected, obviously. But my purpose is something that gives me the direction. It's the compass around which I follow. It's the point that I can say, that's, that's why I uniquely am here. My purpose is far more than just my job. It's far more than my relationships. It's far more than the things that I enjoy. It's a combination of those things, but my purpose is then centred around my identity in Christ and then what has been set out for me. So I said to you before that there were two really challenging things around identity. One is that if we don't understand our purpose, then our identity is just a statement of our history. So it can constrain our future. If we're always anchored back to that idea of what has come behind us, we then get stuck into this idea, well, I'm an alcoholic, so therefore I must always be an alcoholic. I'm a failed... I've been in failed marriages, so therefore I must always be in failed marriages. I'm a poor student, so I'll always be poor at doing this stuff. So our identity without that purpose can constrain our future. But the other problem with our identity is that it constrains our view of others. It constrains how we think about ourselves. We very quickly, as I said earlier, we talk about how long you've been in Alice Springs, but one of the things about us as humans is we all look for our tribe. We all look for the people we want to hang out with. And the reality is, is most of the time we look out for the people we want to hang out with based upon a similar level of identity. So we, we hang out with people who have the same interests as us. There's those of us who like the Essendon Football Club and there's the rest of the world who are heathens. But there's, we, we hang out with people who have a similar image of themselves or see themselves in a similar way. We do that in this town. As I said, we do it by how long have you been here? We do it from where you've come from. I'm from part southern Africa, I'm from western Africa, I'm eastern Africa, I'm from the US, I'm from the Philippines. All the different countries that we have represented here, people will tell you where they're from as a mechanism to try and work out, well, you're from there and I'm from here, so how do we actually come together? How, how does your identity fit in with mine? Are you a parent? Okay, so I can connect into that. Yeah, so I, I have that linkage. Which school do you go to? Okay, so you're at that school, so I can now tie in and know how my piece of the puzzle fits in with your piece of the puzzle. Our understanding of our own identity becomes then not only a barrier to our future, but it becomes a barrier to how we relate to other people because we use our identity to constrict and constrain how we engage with other people. We use it as a mechanism to classify 
here's all the people around me and here's the people that I want to spend time with. Here's the people that I'm going to invest into. So the challenge then is saying, well, who is it that we belong to in that? Who is it that we will say, no, this is, this is my identity? This is the common identity that I want to hold to. This is something that exists beyond my experience and beyond my past, beyond your past and your experience that say, well, can we form, can we forge, can we bring together a new identity, some new concept of who we are as a collective? Frankly, that's one of the great challenges that this town has got is that we have to be able to craft an identity for ourselves going forward that is informed by our past but isn't constrained by it. It's, it's got to be a, a collective identity that says, here's who we want to be. And yes, that will have different facets of it. We'll come to that identity with different ideas and different understandings. But here's the space that we want to, the, the identity that we want to hold on to. This is the identity that we want to connect to that says, here's how as a town we are going to stand up. It's not actually about saying one group of people have got to do something differently for another group of people. It's about us coming together and saying, here's, here's who we want to be in the future. This sermon was not intended to be a sort of a, an analysis of everything that's going on in our town, but it, it can't not reflect on the fact that that fractured identity is something that we continue to deal with. That fractured identity that so many of our Indigenous brothers and sisters have through dislocation and the changing relationships that they have within their families and within their, their relationship to land. The fractured identity that we have around, are we, are we an outback town full of cattle station people or are we a, a really artistic town that does, does lots of interesting stuff? Are we, American, are we a military town because we've got all the base and stuff? Are we a family town because there's lots of kids here, but are we a town for older people? Are we a town that's about heritage? Are we a town that is an oasis in the middle of the desert or are we a town that is this harsh environment? Our identity as a town is continually defined by our past but we don't have a pathway to be able to create something in the collective for us. And so why am I spending so much time talking about that in the context of, of a sermon on a Sunday morning in church? It's because this is our town. And the thing that we have, and the thing that I believe deeply in, is that just as my new identity in Christ gives me a purpose and as I understand my purpose in that, we as a collective form together a union that is able to say, well, this is an identity that we can aspire to in Christ but that gives us a vision and a purpose as a group regardless of our backgrounds. That gives us the opportunity to change and to influence that identity of this town. As Peter mentioned before, the things that we have done through stuff like Let's Help Day and Hampers, it changes things. One of the characteristics of the desert 
is its relationship with time. This town is full of people coming in for a short time, some for a long time. It's very transient. And it's really hard sometimes to build relationships in that. And you can build up a cynicism around, oh, that person here is new in that organisation. They're just here, they're gonna, they've got great ideas about what they're going to do and what they're going to change. And that person comes in and they burn themselves out because they go flat, flat out trying to, trying to change the world. There's a whole bunch of people who are sitting back with their arms crossed going, told you, told you, told you it was never going to work. And truth be known, there were people in this church that have had that same view about people coming into the church. Oh, that person's got, they've got a lot of new ideas, won't last. They'll be gone and I'll still be here and I'll be proven right. Don't laugh. It's real. But the thing that changes, the thing that can really drive change in a place like Alice Springs is that long commitment that when you're still there and you keep turning up and 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 keep turning up, suddenly people start to go, you're still here. Oh, you mean you actually really believe this stuff? You, you keep turning up to help because you actually want to do this. This, this wasn't just a one-off, you're still here. There's an incredulity about how we engage when you just keep turning up. Now, not all of us can all turn up all the time because we are all passing through in different ways. But the unique power of and the unique position of the church is the church is able to exist beyond any individual that is here. And DLC is able to continue to turn up and turn up and turn up and turn up and turn up. And in doing that, turning up, we start to see a change. And we start to see an impact and an influence and an opportunity to change people's perception around what can be achieved and what a new identity can be. In Philippians 1, verse 27, we find these words, Above it all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or I only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. Worthy of the good news of Christ. This is where our identity as individuals and our purpose as individuals come together to say, well, actually, I have a collective identity as part of citizens of heaven that actually we are commanded not just to be islands 
in ourselves. We're not, we're not just there to have this beautiful relationship and then sit at home by ourselves doing that just in relationship with God. As, as much as that's a great thing for you to have that special time, we are commanded to be together as citizens, conducting ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the good news. Worthy that we stand up to something where people go, that's, that is a, that's a high standard and you, you, you have lived up to that, that good news. And we're to do that by standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Our identity individually... And our identity, our purpose individually, only has relevance in Christ if we are also able to work out how does our identity come together as a collective, as citizens in heaven. It only has value if we can bring that together. And so we then say, well, what then is DLC's purpose? If we see, say that DLC's identity is defined by the fact that we are believers in, in Christ and we're believers in God and in the Bible and we're believers in, in what Christ's message means to us, what then is our purpose? Now, that was a rhetorical question. You don't actually have to answer it because the good news for all of you is it's actually written on the back wall. Now, you don't have to turn around and look at it. But we have a purpose statement. We have a vision statement. We are a diverse Christian community of all ages and backgrounds from many nations that exist to bring hope to Central and Northern Australia and beyond with a life-changing message. We connect, grow, serve together to see lives flourish, leaders raised and communities influenced with our message of hope in Christ. That's it. That's our job. It's pretty easy. Well, it's not that easy, but it's easy to say. But the point is, is that our individual identities, as, as critical as they are to develop and as it critical is to understand our purpose in that, it has to be understood in the context of our purpose as a church. And our church, our purpose as a church is to bring life, hope to central and northern Australia and beyond and so our ability to be able to pull together and to say that I am and my existence as I am is informed by our togetherness. We need to be able to come together as a group and to be able to say, that, well, no, this is the stand that we will make. We will make a stand for Central and Northern Australia. We will make a stand for the areas beyond because we come from this diverse ranges of backgrounds and places and ages and different areas. And we do that because we've seen the good news and we want to grow, connect and grow and serve and raise leaders and see influence in communities and areas beyond us. These are not just mere words and it's really easy to get very cynical when, when we have vision statements and mission statements. But you have to understand that these are not things that they're just so that we can say we have them. They're there because we actually believe that that's how we form a collective identity. 
that allows all of our individual identities to exist and to coexist with each other, but to come together within one common purpose. And that's our purpose. It's not someone else's purpose. Other churches will have different purposes, and that's great, but this is our one. And this is the one that you need to hold on to and you need to believe for. And I believe it because in the context of this town, this town and this region needs people who will stand up and say, no, we exist for the hope of the good news in Central and Northern Australia because we believe it deserves it. We believe that that identity is something that we have to hold on to and build together because if we're not going to do it, who is? We can sit and whinge and we can get on the Facebook pages and we can tell everyone how terrible stuff is. And it's all defining a negative identity about where we've come from. But it doesn't tell people about where we're going to and that direction of where we're going to can only come in the context of a sense of hope, a sense of hope and identity that exists beyond any individual background or any individual experience. That is what our challenge is. That is what our purpose is. You need to know this and you need to believe it. Because in the absence of understanding and believing that, why are you here? Why am I here? I'm here because I believe that we need to do this and I believe that the life-changing message of Christ is something that has had an impact on me, an impact on my family, and it's something that I do believe has value and merit in the context of this town and this region and this country. That's, That's our purpose. The context and the takeaway out of that is that each and every one of you need to understand that your identity has three elements to it. It's got three elements of purpose. The first of which is this, that God created you to be in relationship with him. It is fundamental to an understanding that your purpose is defined by the sense and that that desire by God to have a relationship with you as an individual. If you've never understood that, we're going to have a time at the end of this service where we are able to to pray for you. You need to believe that you were created as an individual for relationship with God. Second of all, you were created to be in relationship with God in a family. It's not an island. You are there to be in relationship with a family. With God, I'm here for relationship with God. It's an extension of that. And I can only believe that if we lived in a world where everyone held on to those three cents of purpose, it would be a very, very, very different world. Because it would be a world that says, I am a child of God and I've been born to be in relationship with him and be born to be in relationship with other people and I want other people to be in that relationship with God as well. What a magnificent world that would be. How different would be the challenges that we're facing as a community at the moment. Your identity without purpose is just a statement of your history. Remember that. Whatever's gone on, whatever's happened before, however you tell yourself, whatever lies, whatever statements have been made about you, 
Yes, they're all our purpose is one that comes together with others who share some of those pains and share some of those wounds and also to think about those people who aren't here as well. As the team comes up, we're going to enter into a time of communion. Luke 22, this New Living Translation, verse 7. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived, and when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, Go and prepare a Passover meal so we can eat it together. So we can eat together. Jesus' starting point for one of the most significant moments in his life and something that we reflect upon when we take time to have communion started with a very simple statement of so we can eat together. We move it then to verse 17. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it and then he said, take this and share it amongst yourselves. Again, share it amongst yourselves. This was a a coming together of a group of people. In a moment, we'll pray over the bread and wine and I'll read the verses about giving Jesus giving thanks for his blood. So giving thanks for God for it. But I need you to hold on to something really special about this moment as we take communion. Rituals in our lives are really important. Rituals are a way of connecting us with people who've gone before and people who are going to come in years to come. Rituals are a way of giving a structure in our life. But this ritual is not just something that we step through for the sake of doing it. It's not something we do just because that's the way it was always done. We do it because it actually is a moment in time where we can connect with that sense of purpose that each of us are given through a relationship with Christ. Because as we hold that bread and the wine, we think about the sacrifice that was made for us as individuals. But as we hold that bread and wine and we think about that, we're doing it standing alongside other people. We're doing it in that context of a family. That communion is not just a communing with God. It's a communing with others. And as we commune with others in this building, we then reflect upon who are those who are not yet been able to share this meal with us. Who are those who don't know that there's a meal to be shared? Who are those who don't know that there was a God who created them to be in relationship with them? We don't get to escape and just focus on one of those three things. It's really easy to get very focused on doing good for other people, but if we just do good for other people without understanding our own identity, it doesn't have the value. But equally, if we spend all of our time living like a monk, just in solo worship with God, 
as important as that is, we miss out on those other two parts. You don't get to tear apart the bits that you like. You have to hold it all together. I'm going to ask that you stand now. Jesus said, as he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it, and then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine. He said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And I pray for you all. And as I do, please take the bread and the wine and reflect upon that sacrifice. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. We thank you for the sacrifice that you have made. We thank you for the new identity that we each are able to take on through relationship with you. We thank you for the family that you've brought us into. And we pray for that family that is not yet here. We're going to sing now. And then as we sing, I'm going to come back and we're going to pray for each of you an opportunity for people to come up for, for additional prayer if they need it. But if you today have never understood your identity as someone who has had a been created to be in relationship with God, we would love to be able to take that time to pray with you to share with you what, a, what that identity could be, to share with you what we understand Christ has done for us. We are a diverse, an amazing body of people who come from a wide range of backgrounds, different ages, different experiences, different roles, different opportunities in life. But we come together for the singular purpose of bringing the good news of, and hope to Central and Northern Australia and beyond because this place is a place that I call mine, I know you call it yours, and it's a place that needs the hope of the Lord Jesus.
while we stand in this time of worship. I'd like you to all bow your heads. If anything you've heard today has brought up questions for you about your identity and your purpose in whether you haven't heard of this Jesus before, we'd love to take the opportunity for you to have this as a moment where you can say, yes, I want to recreate that. If that's you, I'd love for you to raise your hands and it's something we'd just love to pray for you about. We'll give you a moment. And people can come around you and share that. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for those people who are coming to you to say, Lord, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to take this time to to form a new identity built on a new purpose in a relationship with you and for you. If there's anyone here who needs prayer, then this is your family. We're going to take time, the music will keep playing. This is a time to come down and people will stand with you because you are not commanded to be alone. Your purpose is not to be an island or a fortress away from others. Your purpose is to be here in a family. And we would love to take that time to pray for you. So we're going to sing this song again. The service will close and people can leave. But if you need time together, then come down here and up to the front and take that time with with other people who are part of your family who share that with you. Heavenly Father, just thank you for everyone in this church today. We thank you for who they are and where they're from. But most importantly, we thank you for who they're becoming and where they're going in your name, Lord. We pray for this town. We pray for the people who live here. And we pray for the hope that you can bring to our future. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to come in your house and share this time together as your family. And most of all, we pray for those people who are yet to call this family home. Amen.